Welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Murphy. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to bring you up-to-date and current literature and expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders so that together we can get to the root cause of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Nora Zaghi provides functional and integrative pediatric oral health care as well as airway-centric interceptive orthodontics with a focus on whole body health and well-being. She's a board-certified pediatric dentist, published author, clinical researcher, and educator. Dr. Nora is a graduate of the Breathe Institute's Myo Masterminds program, a faculty member of the Myo Functional Research Company, and provides education with the Breathe Institute. Beyond her academic studies and clinical experiences, she has continued her education in the fields of functional dental care, sleep, breathing, ankyloglossia, early interceptive orthodontics, oral motor and feeding therapy certification, and advanced myofunctional therapy. She works on a multidisciplinary setting with various specialists at the Breathe Institute, including ENT sleep surgery, dentistry, oral motor and feeding, speech and language pathology, oral surgery, sleep meditation, craniosacral therapy, integrative pharmacy, and pediatric physical therapy. As the director of pediatric dentistry at Breathe Babies and Kids, her goal is to create a positive long-term relationship with children and their families to provide longitudinal and multidisciplinary care. Good. Well, I guess it's still morning for you, Dr. Nora, and afternoon for me. Welcome on to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay! I know we um we had a couple other collaboration things that we were working on, so I'm excited to to get those out too. I'm excited Thanks to have you on here because I love talking to providers who obviously come at it from the provider standpoint, but also have that like personal story, personal journey along with it. Um, so if you want to share, you know, your journey into motherhood and how that really impacted your career and your, you know, how you practice pediatric dentistry today. Yeah. So my, my journey is quite interesting. I didn't know much about airway health when I went into my pediatric dentistry residency and I was in a residency program that only had two specialties within it, pediatrics and orthodontics. So the Mm -hmm. pediatric dentist would do a lot that, um, let's say an oral surgeon or endodontist would do, for example. So we were getting a lot of referrals from a lot of different places because we were the only residency program in the state for for dentistry. Wow. Um, Yeah. For, for pediatrics Mm -hmm. at that time. So then, then we were starting to get referrals from the orthodontics department to extract premolars. And I had a mentor and a, um, she's a professor and a mentor. And she would tell me, Dr. Nora, get your hands off the four, those forceps. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have up till five years after the age of maturity for them to come back and sue you for consequences. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean by consequences? Like, this is not something I learned in dental school. What could happen if I were to remove these premolars? And these were referrals that we were getting very frequently, 
-hmm. if not daily. And I just felt stuck because I had, you know, um, other program provide program directors and so on, um, guidance providers saying like, you know, this is what the orthodontic department needs of us. You know, this is our, it's our duty. And I had one person telling me, go and learn more. And I did. So I started to learn more about if we were not to do those extractions, what could we do to further help the child? Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that sometimes we don't need to remove teeth to make the face fit the teeth. We can also have the face fit the teeth by creating space. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to, and had a really, because of her, we talked to our, um, program director and we asked an orthodontist in the area to come and teach us his techniques because this was something he was doing. So he came in, he taught us, and then I was starting to learn early inter early interceptive orthodontics, early interventions to help kids. And what I noticed is that a lot of these orthodontic problems were, were just symptoms of sleep and breathing and airway issues that I had never learned about. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about myofunctional therapy thereafter. And since then, my world has never changed. Um, <laughs> I, I started doing tongue tie releases because I know, and we can talk about this more in my residency, because I learned that this can also help for speech, for breathing and for sleep and for so many different things. And I kept having kids come back and saying, and parents come back and saying, Dr. Nora, you won't believe it my kid was never able to say the B sound or the T sound or the K sound. And just this week, I heard him saying all these words, like, wow, and I would get chills up and down my body. Like, <laughs> there's, some, there's something to this, right? And then when I was, and then, and then I started seeing very, very little ones, right? Babies. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were having call, call schedule. We were, we were on call for like a week, every, every month or so. And I was on call and then I got a call from like the NICU and they were like, Hey, Dr. Nora, this patient can't feed. You're the on-call doctor. Come and help us. Looks like a tongue tie. I'm like a infant. What do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? So I luckily had like, um, a, pro a provider that was, a that was a professor overseeing our care. And I learned, and since then I saw feeding change. And that just blew my mind because I hadn't made that connection yet. And since then life changed. I met my husband and I got more and more into this. We met because <laughs> of our mutual interests and other things. And we can talk about that later, but, um, I got more and more into the field and I had my own child, you know, shortly thereafter. And of course, lo and behold, I put him on a, you know, he came out they're like, first thing you do, you do skin to skin. So I put him on and they're like, why don't you try to breastfeed? So I put him on my breast and then I'm like, ow, this <laughs> really hurts. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, it's okay, doctor. Uh, it's okay, Nora. Mm -hmm. your, your breasts will toughen up. It hurts a little bit when you first start. And I'm like, hmm. And I looked at my <laughs> husband. <right> here. <laughs> I looked at my husband. He looked at me and we were both thinking the same thing. I put my fingers under the tongue, lifted it up. <laughs> and of course it was only fitting for us to have a baby that was tongue tied. Um, I waited for the epidural to wear off <laughs> and then <laughs> straight to the office we went mm -hmm. and we had um, a body worker previous, uh, previous to release. And then the release treated 
And then we, we also were working with the LC at the same time. And then we had body work thereafter. And it was crazy to feel it. My fruit feel it was just wild. You've, you've seen other parents mm-hmm. go through this and tell you things are better. But then when you go through it yourself, it gives you a whole different meaning. Um, oh my gosh, absolutely. Understanding. So yeah, that's pretty much my journey. And since then, I've been lucky and grateful enough to help babies, kids with airway and functional health and support and tongue ties. And it's just been a really, really beautiful marriage of all the different things I've been able to oh, I love that. expand my education on. Yeah. Now is body work something that you recommend for all your patients that are going through tethered oral tissue release? Yes, absolutely. I do educate all my patients on body work because I think it's really important. The tongue in itself is the start of our fascia system. So the base of the tongue can, can has our frenulum and then for the frenulum is started the fascia system. It goes down and lines our organs, goes deep down all the way to our toes. So we do see a lot of issues, a lot of, you would say tension in the body with little ones that have um, tongue ties. We see sometimes torticollis in some relationships with torticollis. We also see some kids with um, digestive issues that could also be related. So body work is really, really helpful to help these little ones sometimes. And I think just educating new moms, because this is not something a new mom would know that, right. they, that there are osteopaths and craniosacral therapists and chiropractors and body workers that can help infants, specifically infants. And many, many moms just don't know that. So, you know, I'm, this was, well, what it was during COVID. So two years ago, um, and so many of my friends or friends of friends were having babies and, you know, you see them all on Instagram and it's like, oh, they're so cute, but our eyes are trained. Like, oh my God, that baby's tongue tied. And, you know, that's not some of these people that I was seeing pictures of, they weren't close enough to me where I could just text them and be like, Hey, how's breastfeeding going or the lack of breastfeeding, you know? So what I did, I actually at that time on my podcast was having um, Michelle Emanuel on. Yeah. I reached out to these three specific new mamas and I was like, hey guys, I just started this podcast. I'm having this uh, pediatric occupational therapist, IBCLC, or yeah, she's an IBCLC, right? Yes. Um, on the podcast. And I really want to ask her questions of like new moms. So like, I would love to hear like how your feeding journey is going. If you guys have any questions and so forth, all of them bleeding nipples, blisters, Uh. using nipple guards, not knowing that they should reach out for help, not knowing that this shouldn't be a painful thing. Anyways, at the end of it, we had the podcast. I sent them, um, you know, all of Michelle's answers and stuff. I ended up um, getting them hooked up with local providers in the area and all three of them had tether oral tissues released. And Mm -hmm. it was like a game changer for them. One of them actually um, just announced she was pregnant again. And she messaged me on Instagram and she's like, she's like, literally the first thing, first place that we're going after we have uh, this child is for body work and to be assessed by an IBCLC. And I'm like, yeah. And that's exactly the way it should be. And then those are the people that should, should, like IBCLC should be doing these. I mean, our goal is for them to ha- have done these functional evaluations, functional mm-hmm. assessments before we treat so that we can better help assist and diagnose. Right. So, and it's absolutely. so frustrating here. You know, I know obviously in different countries like Brazil and stuff, every baby before they leave the hospital have this tether oral tissue evaluation. But my sister, so my sister-in-law is a nurse and she had taken a myofunctional therapy class because she came very, uh, just very interested in it. She wanted to know more and she's in labor and delivery now. 
And she sees all these new mamas and all these new babies with tongue ties. And like, she has to like on the DL have these conversations with the moms because it's not something that they want her talking about. And there's been a few times where like her superior supervisor, whatever you want to call them have come over and been like, that's not really something that we do. And it's like, what? I even had one of my best friends had a baby last April and she was breastfeeding, but she didn't have a good latch. And the IBCLC came in, gave her a QR code and was like, scan this, watch the video and let me know if you have any questions. So first time being a mom, my friend had, okay, well, I, I mean, she's feeding. So I guess this is fine. She was about to get discharged and the discharge nurse said to her, oh, honey, no, something's going on here. Like that latch is not good. And if it wasn't for that discharge nurse giving her other techniques, she probably would have went home. She probably, the baby probably would have started to lose weight. She already wasn't gaining as much weight as she should have in the hospital. And it's like, so infuriating. Like this is literally part of your job criteria. How are we not taking this a little bit more serious? Absolutely. Yes. And and it's it's just so beautiful to see people starting to come around and yes. <laughs> and and um and putting things together for a new moms so that they don't have to struggle and think this is all normal because I see so many toddlers, three year olds, and they're like their speech is not performing well and they're confused as to why. And I just saw one yesterday, a little three year old tongue tied like to the tongue tip, wow. and but lip tied like to like with bone notching all the way to the palate and wow. thick frenulums, lamps. And she's like, I had so many people, you know, IBCLCs, this, this, and that, and nobody told me anything. How come nobody said anything? And it's just, I think every healthcare provider is doing the best they can to help our patients. We wouldn't go into health if we weren't of the mindset to help our, our families and right. our patients. Uh, meanwhile, there's some education barriers. There's not enough education Definitely. I didn't receive any education right. about this one. Right. I wasn't a normal um, undergraduate dental training. Yep. Um, so you have to really have that extra interest to learn more or go out and seek that knowledge because it's just yep. not readily available. Yep. Absolutely. Now, do you find, I mean, it's probably been for so long now that you've had these different kinds of questions on like medical histories and questionnaires that you give out to new patients. But like, I know, you know, for me, like sometimes when people come in for a myofunctional evaluation, like they're coming because their doctor told them to, but they don't really understand why. And when I start asking questions about birth history, even though the child's 12 and, you know, did they like tummy time? Did they crawl all of this stuff? They're like, why is she, why is she asking me all these questions? Do you find with some, obviously like newer patients that come in, are they confused as to why you might want to know things about that? Like, were they brought breastfed or bottle fed? Like how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, there's definitely, um, a wide range of patients that I see some patients are just extremely educated and they've mm -hmm. done all of their research because they've gotten so many misdiagnoses for so many different things. And then they yep. eventually found somebody that could help. And then I have some parents that come to me because I also do low toxic dentistry and mm -hmm. I do things that are more functionally related in the dental health field. So when I ask these questions, they're like, Hmm, how does it connect? You know, and it blows their mind to see the connections mm -hmm. and understand, but I do explain a little bit as to why, because I'm, yeah. because I want them to, to learn. So yeah, that if they, absolutely. yeah. If they have family, friends or more kids, they can also help people in their community. 
Now, how do you, when you talk with parents, um, whether they're infants or it's more just education-based, let's talk about a little bit about the connection between tummy time, well, the importance of tummy time and why like an infant that has a tetheral tissue may not particularly love tummy time. Yeah. So it's really important, I think, to have a good amount of tummy time, really just starting from like a few days, you know, right around birth, um, because we want to help develop core strength and Mm -hmm. kids with tummy time. Sometimes they have digestive issues, reflux, things, some in some of those things, tummy time might not be the most comfortable Mm -hmm. in terms of sitting up, mostly up and holding mom might be more comfortable than sitting being laid down on the floor. Um, So it's really helpful to work with an OT that can, Mm -hmm. that has knowledge and training in infants and with tummy time. Uh, Because my own son also had so, uh, so many issues. I ended up working with an OT and she was amazing. And we worked on doing tummy time on a ball or on my body versus directly on the floor. So even though he had his release, he still had residual consequences of that effect because, you know, the tongue tie is developing in utero. So you, even if you, even if you release really early on, there's still be challenges along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Now, what about the whole nutrition aspect? Is that something that you guys focus on a lot in your practice, like talking about the importance of eating, of chewing, eating wholesome foods? Yeah, I do. And I find that many parents are so excited and fascinated about about the relationship between the type of foods that we offer, um, you know, within the first, let's say sometimes six to nine months of infancy and how their jaws develop. And it's important to tell parents like to try to offer different types of food if it's possible, if they feel ready, if a feeding therapist also agrees that the child is ready to start offering foods that are more whole versus more just puree-led foods. And Mm -hmm. once once the child does exhibit the signs of readiness, um, that helps develop the jaws and expand the jaws, which will eventually help influence the airway. Mm-hmm. and help influence the airway health. And we do see a relationship between kids that are mostly fed like, you know, by two, three with mm-hmm. pouches or with more soft foods and have more have more difficulty eating those hard foods and their jaw size and the relationship to the jaw size to the tethered oral tissues. So um, just educating on the types of food that are important for their whole health, like D3 uh, rich foods, K2 rich foods, talking about prebiotics, probiotic rich foods it's for their gut health, which also helps the oral microbiome. Mm-hmm. And this is this is all going to help have with brain development, jaw development, sleep health, having low sugar foods, for example, high magnesium rich foods at night. Mm-hmm. These are all things that we can easily talk about. And I, I give, so after every appointment, first comprehensive appointment with a patient, I give like a take-home guide with, okay. with specific um, notes for that family. And I give them a list of foods that, for example, that are relative to their diet, their home diet. So if, like, for example, a family has, you know, religious issues, religious reasons that they can't eat certain foods or just um, their lifestyle, they can't have certain foods. So I, we break it down so that it's feasible. So yeah. it doesn't seem unreachable to parents. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to your point, like, it's just the barrier to education on all of this. And I always say, I wish there was like this 
mandatory class that like new moms or not even new moms, like all moms before birth, even if it's your third child should have to take just to be able to, again, receive all of this education and to really, you know, understand the importance. I mean, of course, certain things are more convenient than others, but I feel like if moms were really geared with all of this knowledge, like they would make better choices of what to, you know, because somebody doesn't give their child a yogurt pouch thinking it's bad. They're giving their child a yogurt pouch thinking they're getting their serving of fruits and veggies, but not mm. understanding the component that they're now missing just because they're, they're not aware. And I just wish that it was just something that all moms could have access to this information. And I know obviously with everything that's evolving, you know, with this field and all the work that you guys are doing at the Breathe Institute, you know, there's just so much more access to this stuff, which is great. And all the books that are coming out. Um, but man, what a world would it be if literally every mom knew this stuff? Totally. It would. And yes, but the information is getting out there slowly and surely. And of course we can't do, you know, as mom, I'm a mom too. We can't do it all. It's not going right. to be a hundred, hundred percent all the time, yep. but what we could do is just try to give it 80, 20 or do what we can. And that's all that matters. As long as we know what we can do to make things to get to the place that we need them to get. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about pacifiers. Um, I mean, I know obviously as a dentist, you don't particularly recommend pacifiers. Um, If a child is going to be using a pacifier, you know, up until say six months, is there a particular pacifier that you would recommend? Yeah, I I think pacifiers sometimes are a necessary tool for many families and using the the appropriate pacifiers also more beneficial. I like pacifiers such as Avent that have a rounded tip or I like particularly the Ninny because it is shaped like a breast and feels like a breast. So Mm -hmm. it does help with patients that are breastfeeding without giving them too much nipple confusion. So those are the two pacifiers I recommend. I don't advocate for orthodontic pacifiers. And the reason I put that in quotes is because I see um, from clinical practice, the most open bites and the most cross bites, or for those of you that are not in dentistry, malocclusions, meaning that bites that affect the way that the palate is shaped, the way that the teeth come together. And a lot of times the ability for the tongue to be remain on the roof of the mouth. And the reason is, is that it forces the tongue to remain down. We want the t- at least the lateral borders of the tongue to stay up, which mm-hmm. occurs more so with the ninny and the avent rather than an orthodontic pacifier that truly pushes the whole tongue down. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I try to explain this to parents. You know, I love, love, love when I get little, my favorite kids are the babies because there's so much I can do. And that most important thing and something that I'm advocating for is to continue care, having a continued care model. Tongue tie providers where you snip and you say, hey, here's one follow-up, two two follow-ups, see you later. This is, this doesn't, provide quality continued care. We have to see our patients if we saw them around, you know, at around the time of birth, we should be seeing them one or two follow-ups and then seeing them at six months and then seeing them at a year and then seeing them at 18 months. And then maybe even seeing them more frequently if need be, because we're going to help guide them. And a lot, and most of the, you know, it's interesting because in the first couple of years of life, so much of their experiences come from the mouth. Mm -hmm. right? The speech and feeding and (laughs) transitioning from a passy and breastfeeding, like the mouth is so uh, important, like it is for a lot of, a lot of life, but more, I would say 
so much that a pediatric dentist can do or a dentist that treats kids or myofunctional therapist, a IBCLC feeding therapist, body worker that's trained in these things that can help these kids stay healthy over time. Absolutely. And what about um, sippy cups? Is there a particular sippy cup that you would recommend? I don't recommend sippy cups just because they don't, um, they don't optimize the proper tongue posture that helps ad advocate for the appropriate mature swallowing pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I like to provide options for parents like thermos container or things with a bent straw. Um, if they're just learning how to use a straw cup, there's something called Ola Baby that's made with silicone, or I recommend the Honey Bear Straw Cup through Arc Therapeutics. Those are good ways to start to learn how to use a straw until they can like graduate into a pen straw that's um you that helps us kind of keep our lips onto the straw tip mm -hmm. and help um advocate for that mature swallowing pattern so and then of course an open cup is really optimal too when it Absolutely. when possible but a lot of moms are on the go so just try to be realistic with what options can yeah. be most helpful and that's that's I was having this conversation well, we were talking about something earlier about a particular post that I had made. And that's the thing, like we have to meet families where they are, right? Like there is always a super ideal perfection, but like, all right, let's be real. Who really can do that? Like you can't, you have to meet parents where you are. So like you said, it has to be an 80, 20 thing and not, you know, you also don't want to go putting all this pressure on moms that they have to do all these million trillion things. And if they don't, their kid's not going to thrive ever. Like that's very stressful. Um, I'm sure as a parent to hear. So if there's little things that we can do to just keep going in the positive right direction and continue giving to your point, continued care. So that they're still getting that knowledge and that education from their providers to be able to help their children. Um, but that's one of the, the biggest things is, you have to meet families where they're at. And I find that a lot with myofunctional therapy. Like when you first become a myofunctional therapist, like you have all this knowledge and you just want to like throw it all at the patient all at once. And then the <laughs> yeah. was like, whoa, that was like a lot of information. I wasn't ready for that. And we had a couple of families who one of the moms literally said to me, she's like, I turned my listening ears off. She's like, oh I, God. I respect you as a healthcare provider. And I know I need to hear all this information, but I wasn't expecting it. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, sometimes for particular families, like you kind of have to just hold their hand and walk them through it a little bit differently. And there's nothing wrong with that, but just being able to know how to deal with, you know, different scenarios, I think is really important because at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make a difference in our family's lives. Totally. Absolutely. That's so true. <laughs> um, now you talked about, um, the ninny, uh, pacifier having more of like a, um, a nipple shape to it. So it would mimic more like breastfeeding type. Is there a certain mm -hmm. bottle that you would recommend that kind of has the same impact? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important if there's issues with bottle feeding to get a functional assessment from a, a feeding therapist and working with a feeding therapist, but just generally, if you're a new mom, just trying to have some bottles available in case, you know, breastfeed in case you have to go to work pretty soon and you're not sure how breastfeeding uh, will work for your schedule. So having bottles such as the Dr. Brown's narrow bottle, I like to have bottles that are glass if possible, mm -hmm. um, just to be conscious of BPA and BPA derivatives. And then there's also the Avent and I like the Guli Cola, G-U-L-I-C-O-L-A. I hope I like that name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> same, right. But those were three different bottles that I've 
seen help with a great, have a graded tip and I've seen help to mm -hmm. um, also optimize, you know, breastfeeding if needed, if that's awesome. on the journey for the parent. Yeah. These are all great, great tips because I know, you know, I get a lot of Instagram messages. I know we all do that are in this field and this obviously isn't uh, my area of expertise. I always am sending like feeding therapist websites and things like that. So I yeah. think, you know, the listeners listening will appreciate those um, suggestions. Now, I always like to talk about clenching grinding because I feel like we all kind of learn the same thing in our undergraduate programs. Um, so where did that connection come for you that clenching and grinding is more an airway symptom than saying like kids grind their teeth, they'll grow out of it type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's fascinating when kids are very, very young, like I would say between zero to one and a half or two, we sometimes see grinding or moving the teeth together at night um, due to transitional dentition teeth mm -hmm. coming in and then the child trying to find the place as to where the teeth come in. Meanwhile, I think it's really important to get looked at by an airway focused dental health provider. If we're noticing this just to get all our bases covered. Okay. Um, when we get a little bit older than that, and we're still noticing these issues specifically, and we see, you know, potential mouth breathing even related as well. It could also be a sign of a few different things. One could be an airway related issue, like enlarged tonsils. Another could be nasal blockage. Another can be a tongue tie. And there was a study that we did, myself, Dr. Surusagi, Dr. James O, and Dr. Audrey Yoon, and a few others at UC with UCLA, a group of baby children at UCLA. And we wanted to look at specific uh, factors that might be related to sleep bruxism. And what we found, and I always hypothesized, which was like, I'm like, listen, I've seen this in my patients. The ones, <laughs> the ones that are that are grinding, they have a lot of them have tongue ties. So I, I just put that out there and we went on the search and we did find that there was a statistically significant association with children with tongue ties and those that had bruxism. And what we hypothesize is that the low tongue posture causes the tongue. So when we, when we sleep, all the muscles in our body relax, right? Including the 16 muscles of our tongue. So if our tongue is low, whether due to a tongue tie or due to low tongue tone, what we find is when we sleep and all the muscles in our body relax, the tongue can fall back and obstruct the airway, mm -hmm. making it difficult for a person to breathe. And what the airway is comprised of is the back of the tongue, the, um, the pharyngeal space, the tonsils, and there's also the adenoids behind the nose that we can't see, right? So if there's any inflammation in that area and the or if the tongue is falling back, it would be natural for a person to move that jaw forward to help them breathe better. Mm -hmm. So what we see, it's a hypothesis, sometimes stress is related, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. There's been some some research and hypotheses showing that parasites could be related to bruxism too. Mm -hmm. So of course it's multifactorial, but it's important to get an airway assessment as well to help rule out, especially by a functional dentist to rule out and determine what it exactly is rather than just saying we'll grow out of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's fascinating. And the continued research that I'm sure you guys, you know, will do and what will come out, it, it just helps to support everything because I, I don't know how it is in your area, but a lot of times in our area, 
you know, we find one thing, maybe even the pediatric dentist finds something and then they go to their pediatrician and the pediatrician's like, this is fine. This is normal. Um, and it's frustrating, but to be able to send them, you know, the study, like you just talked about is it arms us. It gives us something to be able to like, look, like we're not making this up. (laughs) Yeah. It's evidence-based. We do evidence-based diagnoses. And, and also it's important to note, um, as a dentist, that's more airway focused, that's done the education and training and as a dentist, that's more functionally, um, functionally trained as well we have to recognize that we are the oral physicians. We are oral physicians of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Just so a pediatrician is doing their job to make sure that your child is thriving and they don't have any serious ailments. And they, my pediatrician specifically makes sure that our nutrition is okay. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing, we're making our milestone. We're making the milestones we're hitting where we're supposed to be at. But this is where we really strive, where we really shine. What we do, we do, we treat the oral cavity, the head and the neck Mm -hmm. um, and the sleep and the breathing for many of us too. Now, what would you say to a mama that reaches out to you, say on Instagram and says, you know, my baby is four months old and they're sleeping with their mouth open. What should I do? That's a really good question. So if I, I try to go through a few different, I mean, Instagram. is tough because it's virtual and I can't see your child and I don't really know why. So this is, this is something I would do. One is I would recommend that one, they start doing tummy time Two Mm -hmm. that they start doing something called the sleeping tongue posture, hold, holding the tongue right at the soft part of the chin up. So the tongue can press up on the roof of the mouth to help, uh, seal the lips together and optimize nasal breathing. And then what I would do is I would try to clear the nasal passages and you can use regular saline drops to help clear the nose. And then at the age of four months and up, it's safe to start using something like X layer drops. And those are like little drops that you can put, put up, put in the nose and you can use something like a feta baby or a nasal aspirator to clean the nose thereafter. And this just helps clear the nose, right? This makes sure that we have a patent oral, uh, patent airway. So the child can breathe better. Um, and then if we're still noticing persistent issues, regardless if we're, we are noticing persistent issues or not, I would have them potentially see if they're breastfeeding, for example, an IBCLC to do a functional assessment um, to just if they have training in tethered oral tissues or they have some extra knowledge, just to kind of take a look and see if there's any relationship between what they're seeing and potential uh, tethered oral tissues. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, or, and slash, or seeing a provider in the area that would be able to help further treat their child. Now, I know you're doing um, palatal expansion. What is like around the youngest age you would do palatal expansion on? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's palatal expansion that could be done like with, for example, getting the tongue, like you can, by getting the tongue up, that's the, the child's most beautiful type of natural palatal mm-hmm. expander. The tongue provides up, up to 700 grams of force and only and it only takes 1.5 grams of force to move a tooth, right? So when we have a child working with maybe, for example, palatal massage techniques, something you could potentially work on with a feeding therapist, oral motor therapist, mm-hmm. or um, and getting that tongue up with sleeping tongue posture hold or potentially guppy pose, things of that nature that um, a therapist would probably work on with your child. And then closer to six months old, we can start using tools like a baby munchie 
And that does also help the tongue get up to the roof of the mouth, strengthen the muscles of the jaws, cheeks, and lips, and the lip, and help with lip close and it helps with lip closure and it helps get the tongue up to help expand the upper jaw. When kids get a little bit older, you could go like, for example, one and a half or two. Um, I like to use like infant trainers for, mm-hmm. from Myobrace and a little bit old. Well, with the techniques with my oral motor therapist, I don't, I, I try to do as much. Well, I always work with a therapist with my patients and then thereafter, you know, we can use traditional expansion techniques. Um, like let's say when the second baby molars come in, sometimes we can work with an elf, for example, to help expand the upper jaw if it's needed and the child is cooperative and the parent and the child are willing mm-hmm. um and that's what the what the next step is needed for that child mm-hmm. for whatever reason and there are other traditional expanders and removable and fixed expanders that you can do as time goes on absolutely thank you dr Norris, so much for all this information it was very insightful is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap things up sure um I want to leave the listeners with a bit of advice. One is trust your intuition and your gut, because Mm -hmm. if you're feeling something and something's not right, just do a little bit of extra research to make Mm -hmm. sure and find the person that maybe can help because, you know, very rarely does one doctor know everything. And it's important to work with a doctor that has an understanding of collaborative care and what that means, because I work so frequently with many, many, many providers that help my, my patients and it's, it's a journey and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Nora. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. And we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Yay. And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My My OI. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at hello at myctom.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology or Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial underscore Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.